I'm Father Ron Shipley, founder and director of the Anglican Internet Church. I welcome you to the fourth edition of episode 14 of the New Testament Gospels and AIC Bible Study video series. In this episode, I continue discussion of the Gospel of St. Luke with Luke's account of the entry of Jesus into the stream of human history at his nativity and the final two songs in the Gospel of St. Luke, the Gloria in Excelsis and the Nunc Dimittis, or Song of Simeon, and the prophecies of Simeon and Anna. At the end of the episode, I will point out where material presented in episode 14 is discussed in the new AIC bookstore publication, The Gospel of Luke, Annotated and Illustrated. In the two previous episodes, I stressed how St. Luke used the dramatist device of taking one character out of a scene before introducing another. In verse chapter 1, verse 40, the last verse of chapter 1, the focus was on John the Baptist. In chapter 2, attention now turns to Jesus, beginning with the narrative of his birth in verses 1 to 7. In these now familiar passages, St. Luke uses more of the same literary devices favored by St. Mark, but where St. Mark referred immediately, St. Luke continues the practice but also adds, Behold, suddenly, references to multitudes and phrases such as, so all, so all went, and so it was, and suddenly there was. These devices create both suspense and a sense of the inevitability of the flow of the events he describes. The illustration is an illumination of St. Luke with fantastical imagery in colors and gold on parchment from the late 10th, early 11th century Gospel of Otto III made at the Reichenau Monastery, Reichenau, Germany, for the reigning Holy Roman Emperor Otto III from the collection of the Bavarian State Library, Munich, Germany. The artists give visual meaning to St. Luke's phrase, Behold, with his arms extended over his head with multiple images arrayed in multiple colors above him. St. Luke makes the transition in a few more words than he did in the 40-word introduction of Zacharias, which I discussed in episode 13, and offers a bounty of detail. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place when Cyrenius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, every one to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. The illustration is a mosaic of Mary and Joseph registering according to the degree of Quirinius. The mosaic was installed at Cora Church in Constantinople, now Istanbul, Turkey, between 1315 and 1320 A.D. in the century before the century of the fall of the Byzantine Empire. 
St. Luke's narrative offers unique detail of the who, what, when, and why. The imperial Roman census decree from Caesar Augustus, the name of the governor of Syria at the time, Quirinius. Although historians debate whether he was still the governor when the census took place, Bethlehem as a city of David, Joseph of Nazareth's descent in the royal line of David, a claim also made in St. Matthew's account. In describing Mary, St. Luke uses the technical legal term betrothed wife in verse 5, noting that she was with child. In episode 3 and episode 13, I pointed out that betrothed is not the same as the modern terms engagement or marriage. The IVP Bible Background Commentary New Testament points out that sexual relations during the period of betrothal were prohibited, which suggests that the circumstances of Mary's pregnancy must have been widely speculated upon. The illustration, the betrothal, betrothal of Joseph and Mary, is one of the opaque watercolors over graphite on gray wove paper by James Tissot, painted between 1886 and 1894 A.D., all scenes in the Life of Christ series in the collection of the Brooklyn Museum, Brooklyn, New York, and which I will use multiple times in this series. St. Luke's nativity narrative continues in verse 6 and 7. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. The understanding of the place of birth differs in the Western and Eastern Church traditions. St. Luke refers to a manger in verse 7, in which the infant Jesus was laid, wrapped in the traditional Hebrew manner with cloth strips or swaddling clothes. In nearly all Western church paintings and icons, since the first Western church nativity scene was set up by St. Francis of Assisi at Greccio, Italy, in 1220 AD, the manger scene is set in a stable with farm animals. The illustration, Institution of the Crib at Greccio, is a fresco by Giotto painted in 1295 A.D. in the Upper Basilica of St. Francis of Assisi, Assisi, Italy. In the Eastern Church tradition, based upon the writings of Justin Martyr in the mid-2nd century, origin of Alexandria in the mid-3rd century, the location of the actual birth is a cave like the one in the illustration showing the altar of the Nativity in the Grotto of the Nativity under the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem. The church was started in 325 A.D. under the patronage of Emperor Constantine's mother, Helen. The church in its present form was completed in 565 A.D. under the patronage of the Byzantine Emperor Justinian. It is under the patronage of the Greek Orthodox, Roman Catholic and Armenian Apostolic Churches, with the Nativity Altar under the control of the Greek Orthodox and Armenian Churches. A large-scale restoration and structural strengthening of the Church in the Nativity and the grotto below it was completed in 2016 A.D. Whether shown in a cave or in a stable, 
the Holy Family was there, quote, because there was no room for them in the inn, as Luke points out in verse 7b. The message is that this was not a grand event in the manner of earthly kings. In modern times, this has been corrupted by the modern equating of the Holy Family with the poor and the homeless. The illustration, Joseph seeking lodging in Bethlehem, is another opaque watercolor over graphite by James Tissot. The next verses, 8 through 12, include the third angelic annunciation in the Gospel of St. Luke. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. The illustrations are three interpretations of the angelic annunciation to the shepherds. The first, an 11th century illumination in tempera and guilt on parchment from the Ottonian era of the Holy Roman Empire made in the Reichenau School, Reichenau, Germany. The second, a 15th century Belgian miniature. And the third, an early 14th century fresco by Taddeo Gotti from the Basilica of Santa Croce, Florence, Italy. The scene was immortalized in music in the Western Church by Edmund Hamilton Sears in 1846 in his carol, It Came Upon the Midnight Clear, which was published at the beginning of Christmas hymns in the Victorian era in England. St. Luke once again focuses on the humility theme of the Nativity. This third annunciation is made to humble shepherds in their own fields at night. It is significant that it was to them and not to the world's kings and priests and nobles that God sent an angel of the Lord. Angel comes from a Greek word meaning messenger, and Lord is a Hebrew title of God. The presence of the divine is what is meant by the glory of the Lord shown round about them in verse 9. The glory of the Lord is derived from the Hebrew word Shekinah and is usually represented in early Christian art as a blue aura. In the Western church tradition, it is usually represented by an almond-shaped device known as a mandorla surrounding the subject. The illustration is a detail, one of five scenes of the nativity on a single page from an illumination in tempera and gold on parchment from the Codex Aureus of Echternach, or Golden Gospels, made between 1030 and 1050 AD at the Abbey of Echternach, Luxembourg, which was then in Germany from the German National Museum, Nuremberg, Germany. The angel and one of the shepherds are looking left toward a manger scene in the adjacent panel. The other shepherd is looking toward the choir of angels, or the multitude of heavenly hosts mentioned in verse 13, who are in the upper right. 
In verse 10, the angel reassures these humble shepherds who are said to be greatly afraid not to fear their presence, but instead to have joy, for they are the first to be told the good news of the coming of a Savior that very day in Bethlehem, the city of David, in verse 11. Here, St. Luke reinforces the theme of the universality of the gospel, writing good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. Only St. Luke here in chapter 2, verse 11, and earlier in the Magnificat in 147, and St. John in John 4, verse 42, used the word Savior. The Magnificat was discussed in episode 13. Here, the Savior is also called Christ the Lord. Christ is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew Messiah. Other titles with similar meaning are the Anointed One or Holy One of Israel. The illustration is the Annunciation to the Shepherds, an illumination in colors and gold on parchment from the Saint Save Beatus, also known as the Apocalypse of Saint Save, painted in the 11th century from the collection at the Bibliothèque Nationale in Paris, France. St. Luke's intent, declared in the opening four verses of chapter 1, was to deliver to the faithful a truthful and complete account of events which changed the world. St. Luke continues with the unique account that inspired Charles Wesley's great Christmas hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, in 1739 A.D. St. Luke again uses his favorite dramatic words, Suddenly, so it was, now when, and marveled. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, as it was told them. The three illustrations were first the center portion of a 20th century, a second quarter 20th century sanctuary mural at St. Joseph's Villa Chapel, Richmond, Virginia, from the AIC bookstore publication Paintings on Light. The second, the Adoration of the Shepherds, an oil on panel by German artist Martin Schongauer, painted in Alsace between 1475 and 1480 AD from the collection of the Gemalde Gallery in Berlin, Germany, and finally, a miniature illumination of the Nativity and the Adoration of the Shepherds from a Psalter made at Oxford, England in the first quarter of the 13th century before 1220 AD from the collection of the British Library 
London, England. The song sung by the, quote, multitude of the heavenly hosts, or Sabaoth in Hebrew in verse 14, was the third unique song in St. Luke's Gospel, an early version of the Gloria in Excelsis that is sung at the end of Anglican Holy Communion, except during Advent and Lent. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men is the phrase they sang. The phrase in the highest does not mean mankind's highest praise of God, but praise of God in his highest heaven or his high heaven. Peace means the presence of God's peace in all mankind if they choose to receive it and act upon it accordingly. Goodwill toward men means reconciliation of God to man and only secondarily between man and man or between men and women. It means that God has sent his Son to reconcile sinful creation with its creator. The illustration is an enlargement of the choir of angels in the Annunciation to the Shepherds from the Codex Aureus of Echternach referenced earlier. St. Luke sped up the pace of his narrative by telescoping time, again writing in verse 15a, So it was, that after the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds came with haste and found Joseph and Mary and also the baby Jesus in a manger, and having seen him, spread the news widely. He also tells us that the people marveled when they heard the news of the birth of Christ. As I pointed out in episode 9 in my discussion of the disciples' reaction to Jesus' miraculous walk on water, the word marveled, from the Greek verb thalmazu, literally means to wonder at or to admire. Thalmazu, or marveled, is used 30 times in Scripture, mostly in the New Testament, seven times by St. Matthew and six times by St. Luke. St. Luke's account of Mary's reaction is instructive on an important spiritual issue, the meaning of heart. In verse 19, he wrote that, quote, Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. One cannot marvel at the glory of the Lord, seen in the appearance of the angels of the Lord, and in the miraculous events of the pregnancies of both Elizabeth and Mary, and the births that followed, if one's heart is hardened, a concept discussed in episode 9. Pondering in the heart is the opposite of having a hardened heart. St. Luke notes in verse 20 that the shepherds came again and were heard, quote, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen. Verse 20. The illustration is an illumination in colors and gold on parchment from the rarely seen Claricia Psalter produced at the Benedictine Abbey near Augsburg, Germany in the late 12th and early 13th century from the collection of the Walters Art Gallery in Baltimore, Maryland. The witness of the shepherds is not the only unique account in the Gospel of St. Luke. 
without mentioning the Mosaic Law's requirement of ritual circumcision from Genesis 17 verses 10 to 14, St. Luke offers in verse 21 an account of the first three Hebrew rituals, the naming and circumcision on the eighth day that parallels that which he reported concerning John the Baptist in chapter 1 and which I discussed in episode 13. He wrote, And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. The event is memorialized on the church calendar in the Feast of the Circumcision of Our Lord, celebrated on January 1st. The illustration is the presentation of Christ in the temple, one of 19 miniature illuminations in color and gold on parchment from the Salzburg pericopes, made at the Monastery of St. Peter, Salzburg, Germany, around 1020 A.D., under the reign, during the reign of the Ottonian Holy Roman Emperor Henry II from the Bavarian State Library in Munich, Germany. In verses 22, 23, and 24, St. Luke recounts events in a second and third ritual, the second of which was performed 32 days later on the 40th day. Now when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. St. Luke quotes the requirements of Leviticus 12 verses 2 to 8 and explains the sacrificial offering of two turtle doves and two young pigeons. The purification of St. Mary the Virgin is celebrated in the church calendar on February 2nd. The presentation of the infant Jesus in the temple is illustrated by an early 14th century fresco by the Italian artist Giotto, one of five scenes in the life of Christ on the right side wall at Scrovani Chapel, Padua, Italy. The actual presentation of the infant Jesus is shown in the illustration Presentation of Christ in the Temple, which is an opaque watercolor over graphite on gray wove paper by James Tissot cited earlier. In Tissot's version, the man at the top of the steps receiving the infant Jesus in his arms is Simeon. The event is the occasion for the third ritual, but also the fourth and last unique song in the Gospel of St. Luke, the Nunc or Song of Simeon. Again, St. Luke signals the start of a significant event with another use of behold. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Here, just and devout has the same meaning as the word righteous, as described in Psalm 1, the so-called two-way psalm. In this sentence, Lord refers to God the Father, and consolation of Israel, Israel and Christ refers to the promised Messiah. In verses 29 to 32, the grateful Simeon, now ready for death, takes the infant Jesus in his arms, blesses God, and cries out, 
here using the words of the 1928 Book of Common Prayer text. Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, to be a light to lighten the Gentiles, and to be the glory of thy people Israel. Simeon's song affirms two themes of the Gospel of St. Luke, that Jesus is a light brought into the darkness of the world, and that the salvation he offers is available to all people, not just the Hebrew nation. The nunc dimittis, named for the first two words in Latin, is sung or said after the New Testament or second lesson in evening prayer in the 1928 Book of Common Prayer, or the service as it's known in England as Evensong, and in the Anglican Compline Office, the last office of the day. The illustration, the presentation of Christ in the temple, is a full-page illumination in colors and gold on parchment from the Harley Hours, a, an extraordinary book of hours made in England in the last quarter of the 13th century from the collection at the British Library, London, England. St. Luke again used marveled in verse 33 to describe Mary and Joseph's reaction to this song of praise and reports the prophecy of Simeon concerning the Blessed Virgin Mary and her child, another example of parallelism in the Gospel of St. Luke. Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. That's verses 34 and 35. The Orthodox Study Bible New Testament and Psalms interprets the prophecy to refer to the pain she had avoided in childbirth being inflicted upon her in the physical and spiritual grief at witnessing the crucifixion of her son. The New King James Study Bible interprets thoughts of many hearts to be revealed as referring to Jesus as the judge of all at his second coming. The illustration is a fresco of the presentation in the temple probably from the late 19th century at an unnamed church in Croatia. As you have seen and heard in this video series, much of the nativity narrative in the Gospel of St. Luke is the only record in Scripture of events in the infancy of Jesus Christ. At the end of his nativity narrative, St. Luke offers one more unique scene known as Anna's Prophecy in verses 36 37 and 38. Owing to the content in verse 35 concerning the thoughts of hearts being revealed, scholars assume that the scene follows immediately from Simeon's prophecy into which she has walked at its end. Anna the prophetess and her father are not mentioned anywhere else in the New Testament. The name Anna is derived from the Hebrew name Hannah with an H. Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity 
And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in the instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who look for redemption in Jerusalem. The IVP Bible background commentary theorizes that the likely meaning of St. Luke's text is that Anna had been a widow for 84 years since the death of her husband after seven years of marriage, the meaning of seven years from her virginity in verse 36, making her over 100 years old, assuming she was married around the age of 15, which was typical for that time. Yet in spite of her age, she, quote, did not depart from the temple, but continued serving God with fastings and prayers night and day. The phrase spoke of him to all those who look for redemption means that she recognized the infant Jesus as the Messiah, the one who would redeem the people. The Eastern Orthodox Church cites Anna as an example of the value of senior citizens as witnesses who can still serve the church through fasting and prayer. The illustration is a detail of Anna from the early 14th century fresco, the Presentation of Christ in the Temple by Giotto at Scrovani Chapel in Padua, Italy, which was used in its full size in an earlier slide. Explanations of the Hebrew context are an important part of St. Luke's narrative. In verses 39 and 40, he does so again, condensing the timeline and also providing transition points for a shift in the narrative. So when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee and their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong in spirit and filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him, Luke writes in verses 39 and 40. The illustration Jesus found in the temple is another opaque watercolor over graphite on gray wove paper by James Tissot. Other AIC resources on topics discussed in this episode are from our Great O Antiphons video series with one episode each for the last seven days of Advent. Episodes especially relevant on topics discussed in this episode are O Adonai, or Lord, for December 19th, O Radix Jesse, or Root of Jesse, for December 20th, and O Clavis David, Key of David, for December 21st. Our special Christmas Eve series, Lessons and Carols for Christmas Eve, includes music and readings from St. Luke's Nativity Narrative, and it can be watched or listened to using links at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net. From our seasonal video series, Christmas, the Nativity of Our Lord, Episode 1 is focused on the readings for Christmas Day, including Luke 2, verses 1 to 10. From our long-running podcast homily series, listen to the latest version of the podcast homily for Christmas Day using the link on the podcast homilies page. In our 12 Days of Christmas video series, peace is the key word for the third day of Christmas, December 27th, church for the eighth day of Christmas, December, excuse me, January 1st, 
in which the Jewish naming and circumcision ritual on the eighth day is discussed, glorifying God for the 11th day of Christmas, January 4th, and finally, grace and faith for the 12th day of Christmas, January 5th. From the AIC Christian Education video series, The Lives of the Saints, from the first series, St. John is the focus of episode 4, Mark of episode 7, John the Baptist of episode 10, Matthew of episode 14, and St. Luke of episode 15. From the second series, St. Francis of Assisi is featured in episode 25. In our The War on Christianity video series, episodes 3, 4, and 5, respectively, include discussion of the growth of the church in the Asia Minor, North Africa, and Europe, the important role played by the Byzantine Empire, especially of St. Helen, the mother of the first Christian emperor Constantine, in the building of the Church of the Nativity at Bethlehem, and the discovery of relics, and the building of many other sites in the Holy Land. And finally, in the final episode cited, the decline of the Church, which followed the collapse of the Byzantine Empire in the 1400s. From the AIC bookstore publication, The Gospel of Luke, annotated and illustrated, from Chapter 2, The Nativity of Jesus Christ, the Third Angelic Annunciation, the One to the Shepherds, two of the four songs in the Gospel of St. Luke, the Gloria in Excelsis and the Nunc Dimittis, the Circumcision and Naming of Jesus, the Presentation in the Temple, and the Prophecies of Simeon and Anna. The illustration on page 30 is the Nativity of Jesus and the Annunciation to the Shepherds from the Codex Egberti, produced between 980 and 993 A.D. at Reichenau Monastery, Reichenau, Germany. From Flamen's Lexicon, Phrases of Interest for Episode 14 are Angels and Archangels, Gloria in Excelsis, Glory, Gospel, Heart, Heaven, Heavenly Host, Holy Spirit, Messiah, Nunc Dimittis, Peace, Prophecy, Prophet slash Prophecy, Sabaoth, Second Coming, Shekinah, and Type, which is a variation of parallelism. From Paintings on Light, the Stained Glass Windows of St. Joseph's Villa Chapel, the Sanctuary Murals of the Nativity are featured on pages 50 to 51. In the St. Chrysostom hymnal, It Came Upon the Midnight Clear is hymn number 19. Good News from Heaven the Angel Brings is hymn number 22. And Hark the Herald Angels Sing is hymn number 27. The two-ways theme of Psalm 1 is discussed verse by verse in Christian Spirituality, an Anglican Perspective on pages 40 to 44. Finally, there is Father Ron's blog, a page on our website featuring information on the latest projects, videos, and publications. Entries in the blog usually include an illustration from the featured series. You can reach the blog page by clicking the links at either the top or the bottom of the page, or by entering the direct URL address in your browser, www.anglicaninternetchurch.net right slash blog with blog in all small letters. 
by clicking the Follow Anglican Internet Church banner in the right-hand column, and afterward entering your email address, you can become eligible to receive notice of each new posting from our site host, WordPress.com. Please be assured that we do not share information with any other organization. Thank you for joining me for episode 14 in the New Testament Gospels. Next time in episode 15, we follow St. Luke's narrative as he shifts the time again, skipping ahead 12 years for the only glimpse in the Gospels of the boy Jesus in the story of his teaching the doctors in the temple. And afterwards, shifting the timeline yet again, skipping ahead more than a decade and a half, and reintroducing John the Baptist, who was last seen in St. Luke's Gospel in his infancy, showing him at the time of the start of Jesus' ministry in Galilee with the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be merciful to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Glory be to God for all things. Amen. This program has been a presentation of the Anglican Internet Church. We invite you to visit our website and use its resources at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net.